0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the ivory tower boiler room. Happy Monday, if you're listening on Monday, if not, happy weekday or weekend, we hope you all had a really rejuvenating and relaxing Thanksgiving break. So today's episode is quite campy pun intended, with the author of the LGBTQ young adult novel camp, Lev AC Rosen. I'm joined in this episode by my guest co host, Mary DePippi, who you all know and love here. If you're not listening, make sure you listen to Mary's True Crime and Academia special podcast that comes out on Tuesdays. And we want to make sure that you all are following us. So if you're not, follow us on Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room, follow us on Twitter at Ivory Boiler Room, and make sure that you rate and review us on apple podcasts make sure that you share our podcast it really does help amplify um, our podcasts and please we want to hear from you so make sure that you leave us a voice message on our anchor podcast page and We have some really exciting developments here at the ivory tower boiler room. First, if you haven't seen, we have a new official logo. So check it out on our social media pages and you can even see it on our anchor page. And I'm working with the team with Mary and Jaron on a Patreon. So soon rumor has it that there will be ivory tower boiler room merchandise. So our last episode of this season is on December 20th. And then we're going to take a much needed two week break. And once we come back in January, we will be launching our Patreon and we'll also have a few new updates. So be on the lookout for that. And if you haven't, make sure that you email us if you want to be part of our December book club, These Violent Delights. Um, is the book, and the author is Micah Nemerever. So our book club is meeting on December 5th at 5 p.m. So email us at ivorytowerboilerroom at gmail.com for the Zoom link. And remember, all our book clubs are free and they're virtual, so it's really easy to join. Okay, think I got all the updates out of the way, and now I present the teaser for our Reminiscing About Camp episode with Lev A.C. Rosen. I hope you all enjoy this episode. It was so fun recording this interview, and you'll hear there's a lot of laughter, and I do have to forewarn you all, there's a lot of discussions around sex. So, you know, get ready to hear all things about sex and performing arts camp and hear how these worlds come together. Okay. That was, that was a bad sexual pun.
1: (laughs) Okay. Here's the teaser. Uh, In fact, the advanced reading copy, the British advanced reading copy has the tagline um, top or bottom. It's time to bunk up. Oh. And the one I really wanted to be on the front. And the reason they passed on this is obvious is Come outside and pitch a tent. Oh, <laughs> I love that though. Oh my goodness. That
0: is amazing though.
1: <laughs> but the sexual so like, fun,
0: oh, you have to.
1: I, I mean, there are obvious, obvious reasons why they yes. said no to that, but I <laughs> prefer that one.
0: Hi, welcome to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. So I am joined again with my guest co-host, Mary DePippy. Hi, Mary.
2: Hello. I
0: feel like I just saw Mary for the Gunkel interview with Stephen <laughs> Rowley. But the reason I bring that up is because the Gunkel inspired me to reach out to our guest tonight, Lev A.C. Rosen, the author of Camp, the young adult novel. So hi, Lev. So nice to meet you.
1: Hi. Nice to meet you, too. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you. Well, and I kept promoting that camp is a supplemental book. If you're reading The gunkle, make sure you read camp because I feel there is a lot of this parallel um, plot point, um, you know, plot points that are in both novels. Um, So I already heard from Lev not to bring up a lot of personal information. So (laughs) I'm not going to make it too juicy, but I am curious. Um, I know that you grew up in Lower Manhattan, but now you live in Lower, Lower Manhattan, almost where you're in the um, river, uh, it seems
1: like. So I am in the river, depending on the weather. Really?
0: (laughs) Well, so I'm curious, was um, your upbringing in Manhattan, which is such a unique, special experience, um, or that's what my my Manhattanite friends tell me? Did you have a very awakening when it came to LGBTQ plus issues or the knowledge around that.
1: Um, certainly, you know, growing up in New York, uh, there is more queer culture here, and it was around me, and I think that definitely made it easier for me to come out. Um, you know, there were there were queer people in my life, let's say. Um, and my parents have gay friends and all that. Um, uh, But sometimes it was also the issue with coming out, I think when you have examples of queerness around you and in media by the time, you know, I came out early, but there was, uh, I'm young enough there was media, Um, is it can feel a little like, uh, here are your options, be one of these people Um, and I think that that's a different problem than like, oh, dear God, I'm scared to come out. And uh, certainly it is not nearly the same level. (laughs) I would never compare the two. Um, uh, But it's a, a more nuanced problem to have. And it is similar to ones that I think a lot of teenagers go through anyway, where they're trying to figure out who they are. You know, what am I? They're modeling themselves on people. The issue is with queer people, it feels like we're taught to model ourselves only on other queer people. Straight people aren't for us. Um, And vice versa, too. You know, straight people aren't supposed to model themselves on queer people because then maybe they'll be gay. Um, So sometimes it can feel like who you're allowed to be can be limited. But like I said, that's not a bad problem to have as a queer person. Certainly, it was easy for me to come out I wasn't the first of my friends to do it. you know. I was president of the Gay Straight Alliance in high school. Um, so in many ways, I had a very easy coming out experience. But the, the trying to figure out who you are, which I think every queer person has to go through anyway, uh, is interesting when it feels like the options around you are more limited. And kids today are so lucky in the uh, amount of queer media figures they have to sort of look at and the, the limitless possibility of who they can be. And I think that that is something that is, is explained to them more, or given to them more. Yeah. Wow. Well, mm-hmm.
0: well, it's helpful to understand that, especially, I, I'm curious, when did you come out? Uh, especially in high school. Oh, me too. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2007, oh, but I'm not sure. I'm, I'm trying to guess if you're later or earlier than that. Let's not get into that. <laughs> okay, that's a question off limits, the age. A, okay, not... <laughs> a very private matter, I, I'll respect that. Um, <laughs> but, so did you go to the infamous Stage Door Manor summer camp?
1: No, no, I did not. Oh, to- okay. I went to a conservative Jewish camp called Camp Shalom, which I made a joke about in the book um, because it's the most generic Jewish camp name that anyone could potentially conceive of. Um, But yeah, no, I did not go to a theater camp specifically. Although I was very much a theater kid. My parents are big uh, Broadway fans. We were raised going to see shows. My mom is president of the board of um, a theater outside the city. So there, you know, a lot of, a lot of musical theater in the house growing up and uh, in college I directed several musicals. Um, I'm trying to count them in my head. I directed three, I assistant directed one and I was in another one. That sounds right. That sounds right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you did directing and performing.
1: I, I'm. I was only a chorus boy. I'm not. I'm not an actor. Um, and I can sing loudly on cue, but you know, s- the 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 timbre of my voice isn't exactly uh, <laughs> as you can hear right now. Me and Fran Drescher have some things in common, um, <laughs> and it's not just being Jewish. Um, so. Uh, you know, I'm good in the chorus, loud, on cue. I will show up. I could do a few basic bi- dance moves. Yeah. And, well, there is uh, going to
0: be but, the Nanny musical. You know that, right?
1: Oh yeah, I am very excited for that. I am deeply, deeply excited. So There that. is a
0: place for a certain vocal quality, <laughs> you know? She was on Broadway. She was in Cinderella. She was. Yeah, I love her interviews whenever mm-hmm. I listen to her. And there's also, you know, a hyper awareness when she performs. Yeah. 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 You know, there's certain shticks <laughs> that people do. Uh but okay. I'm still like processing the whole camp shalom. I'm just thinking what happens if it was called like Camp Oy Vey, but <laughs> the whole other process. But um but yeah, so okay, you didn't really you went to a camp, a summer camp. Was it a going mm-hmm. not, not going away, but it's it a was sleep it, away? Yeah, sleepaway. Thank that you. Mary. Yeah, that's You're the well, yeah,
1: I mean it was It was both. Um, So when I was younger, I went there as day camp, and then I went as a sleepaway camp. And the camp in camp, Camp Outland, although there are many queer camps out there now, um, and kids are so lucky to have them, I wasn't inspired by any one of them in particular. But physically, I modeled the camp on Camp Shalom, um, where I went. And uh, you know, that's how I, I placed things in the camp. Um, I was like, the theater will be there. It was just such an easy reference because I went there so many summers and I worked there as a camp counselor. Um, uh, so I, I have that space memorized. And so it, it, it helped me skip a lot of steps <laughs> when I was writing. And, you know, as a writer, you're always looking for something that'll help you skip some steps. Um, so that was really all i took from that though i mean that camp is honestly the the place where i experienced the most homophobia growing up um because uh you know the it was it was not you know swinging metropolitan new york city uh, it was um you know there, there was it wasn't all bad but there was definitely some homophobia i remember um being asked specifically when I became a counselor that I being told specifically um that I could not tell campers about my sexuality and I was like why am I telling five-year-olds about my sexuality are you having these conversations with anyone else And they were like no you know why um (laughs) no that sounds a lot meaner than it was the the woman who was my boss had been my counselor and she was a lovely woman and she was getting these orders from someone else um, and she is a lovely woman. I should say she's not dead. Um, and, um, you know, that, so uh, those orders came from on high and it was just, <laughs> it was just the way it sort of happened and worked out. And I didn't love that. I didn't love being, you know, called the F word more regularly or getting it, hearing it yeah, thrown around a lot. Um, but when I did a lot of it was at camp and so being able to be like I'm gonna take this camp not the people in it I'm just gonna take this camp and I'm gonna make it super gay definitely felt empowering
2: yeah I can imagine I mean when I was reading it actually Andrew and I went to the same summer theater camp
1: Oh, that's which funny.
2: is how we met <laughs> yeah. and there were just so like so many parts where you were ex- like not only just like the sports side of the camp which I wouldn't have had experience with but like the musical theater side especially I was just eating it up I was like oh my gosh this is bringing back so many amazing memories Mm -hmm. and it's like no one but a theater kid can realize or like even feel how stressed you are but how much you're also like I love this stress let's keep going we need to make this perfect (laughs)
1: yeah (laughs) that's like your theater kid right there that uh (laughs) yeah addiction yeah
0: yeah and the high stakes right Mary of who was getting what part and oh, the callbacks yeah. and I mean well and Mary appointment yeah and Mary is a professional dancer well you know was is a yes. writer I mean I think was and always will be but and I was Thank trained you. in musical theater <laughs> um but I'm now you know finishing my doctorate in English but Theater is always, I am teaching a Broadway musical course next semester. That's not just to promote it, but um, just because um, I know that Stony Brook is having the rent tour, the farewell tour come. So I had to put it into my class. Um, But yeah, I'm just, you know, I agree with Mary. You make it so visceral, all the different, you know, high stakes, the, um, you know, the only thing I really... Don't have the personal experience with is the sleepaway experience mm-hmm. since this camp was where we went was about right three months, maybe yeah. Three when, months?
2: Yeah,
0: um, right. About yeah, that. right. When school we ended, some and change. Then, yeah, yeah <laughs> it was just you know in the summer, and mm-hmm. it was a whole day. But then you would go back to your house, and then you would mm-hmm. go again. It was a five day program, but we would put on basically summer stock for children. Um and learn all the different genres of dance and acting improv yeah it was wonderful but that's where you know I just I knew that you had some kind of theater experience <laughs> uh, just because the technical the terms and
1: mm-hmm. um, even mm-hmm. the personalities the
0: pettiness <laughs> right
1: there's you think everything- all just me. everyone in the book is a variation on me now <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, no, I mean, definitely I had experience, although I think my experience was, and this just proves to, uh, well, I was going to say, I, I, it proves to you that I'm the ultimate control freak, but I was never a stage manager. So that's not true. Um, I was a director. So, you know, I think <laughs> that if you're looking for anyone in the book who is the most like me, it would be Mark.
2: <laughs> and I loved Mark. Mark oh, yeah. was like one of my favorite characters in this whole book just because he brought this energy and just you know that like the theater the theater what <laughs> happened to the theater you know like he just had that
0: well camping vibe and it
2: was just so <laughs> wonderful yeah. to read it really was I enjoyed every yeah. single one of his scenes so
0: I know it's confirmed that Billy Porter is playing the role of Mark right is it that and okay.
1: thing, Correct. Mm-hmm
0: and directing the film. Um, And I know Mary and I were like, wait, is it a television series? Is it a film? I'm like, no, no, it's a film, Mary, because it's optioned with HBO and Warner Brothers. Or? It's a film, but it's uh, for HBO Max.
1: It's a streaming
0: film. Oh, okay, okay. Well, that's exciting. Uh, Mm -hmm. Any set date for when even it'll start production?
1: Uh, I believe, I know one. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it out loud, but so I'm just <laughs> going to, uh, hi. <laughs> that's yeah, fine. I understand. I mean, there's no specific date. There's this, they, they're aiming for something. And, okay. Um,
0: that's all I, could, no, no, yeah. I get it. You don't want to get in legal trouble. We don't want to get, <laughs> Yeah, in we don't trouble. want you to either. <laughs> um, but I'm assuming that it's going to be filmed in a summer.
1: I mean I would assume so too but I don't know the specifics certainly no one has handed me and I don't expect anyone to ever hand me a shooting schedule I'm not that at all oh so you're not going to be on set no no I you know someone else wrote the script um I I I was told that they they'll have me to script, have me to the set at at some point just to like hang out and see everything, and I'd love that. But I'm a spectator. I'm not part of this uh, uh, film. I'm not. (laughs) You know, this is. I have an amazing producer, Dan Jinks. Um, He produced American Beauty and Milk, Mm. and Mm. Down with Love, which is one of my favorite films and was a huge inspiration for Camp. So I think that's like a great full circle moment. Um, And, uh, you know, he is really sort of, he brought Billy Porter on, he's brought all these people on and he has put together something really special, I think. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's incredible. It's actually, so helpful to hear you say that, Lev, because I've always been curious, what is it like? There's right so many different varying degrees of an author whose uh, book gets optioned for a film or TV series. Like some write the screenplay, like Andre Osterman's Call Me By Your Name. He wrote the screenplay, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. I know he was. he's in the movie, but um, <laughs> maybe you'll be running by uh, in
1: the film. Uh, I mean, I, I did say, you know, at the end, there's that scene with the parents all watching. I could be an adult in the audience. I don't know if they're going to take me up on that. But... I mean, you could
2: pull a Hitchcock moment. I mean, I know you're not directing the movie, That's but I mean, true. still, it'd be like, it's fine.
1: I just yeah. don't know if I pass for a 16-year-old camper very well. <laughs> so and there are yeah, a lot of adults.
0: <laughs> well, I will just say, doesn't even Stephen King sometimes appear in his films? <laughs> like... And Very I know, randomly. I wouldn't be too. surprised. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Okay. So it <laughs> was a fun rabbit uh, hole though. That I mean, no, I,
1: I, it varies certainly. And I did, I did not want to write the screenplay, you know, like I am just learning about the film side of the industry. I'm learning about how to write television, how to write film, but I knew, you know, I didn't want to just jump in. I wanted to learn, how everything works. And Dan has been so generous. And I told him that, I was like, I wanna be involved in a, in a in a learning way. And he's been so generous in what he's been teaching me. Um, so that, you know, maybe for one down the line, I can write the screenplay, but I know enough to know what I don't know. I, <laughs> um, uh, and I prefer to let experts handle things. So I am letting experts handle this and you really, I mean, Billy Porter, Dan Jenks, like <laughs> there, there's there's no better set of experts to have. Yeah, you're not going to go mm-hmm. wrong.
0: And mm-hmm. um, well, I'm just hoping for a 2023 LGBTQ plus summer blast. Like, let's have camp, the Gunkle bathhouse. I know, all of the texts. Oh,
1: <laughs> I mean, oh, it'd be amazing. Please. Certainly, I mean, my whole theory is the that we need a year with no straight movies at all. Mm-hmm. It, 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 or it, if you really wanted to make it fair, like, we need as many years yeah. as there have been only straight movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, only it's fair only fair. Yeah, yeah, it old. is only fair. And I feel the same yeah. way about books, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I
0: want to include under the rainbow there too. Sorry, just because (laughs) these are all people that we've had the pleasure of meeting. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I have to say though, you are part of an LGBTQ plus Renaissance. Like there's something happening in literature right now and I'm not sure. Right. It's hard for us to analyze so closely in the contemporary moment, but it does Mm -hmm. seem like there's so much nuance and you know, that's a great, Let me use that as a transition. There's so much nuance of all of the different ways gender identity and sexuality intersect in your novel, Lev, and Mm -hmm. about performativity, like specifically what femininity means, masculinity, what being non-binary that, you know, we weren't really ever seeing narratives like this. Even three years ago, four years ago, it was not as intersected. So maybe was that something you went into the project with is, okay, I'm going to really, you know, deconstruct gender identity and sexuality in this mix.
1: Well, I mean, like I did with my, my other young adult book, Jack of Hearts and Other Parts, you know, I knew that I wanted to write YA books that were after coming out. And coming out mm-hmm. stories are important. And we need to see more of them, especially from more marginalized identities. Um, but for me, I am more interested in exploring the post coming out story, because I don't think coming out really ends. And I think that, it, it, that especially growing up in liberal New York City, a lot of the homophobia I experienced was much more centered in microaggression and expectation in like a more subtle sort of like I love queer people, but also only when they're like this. I love queer people, but do they have to be so in your face about it? They have marriage, why are they still having a parade? Stuff like that mm. mentality is what I grew up with and what I, I like diving into more. I find it more interesting. And with camp, you know, one of the initial inspirations, was, um, and I, I I said this before, Down With Love and the old Doris Day, Rock Hudson movies. Um, and uh, those movies are, you know, 1960s sex comedies and inevitably, you know, Rock Hudson, who's a playboy, pretends to be a nerd to win the girl who would never date a playboy, but he actually falls for her. And then she finds out that, you know, all that sort of like nonsense. And I love it so much. And I've always sort of, Wondered what that would look like queer, you know. I like taking back microgenres like the sex comedy and um, queering them up, and uh, because you know there were all the you know there were queer people back in the '60s, we just weren't allowed to tell our stories uh, in these little microgenres. So like, let's claim them now and make them ours. Um, so. The sex comedy, you know, since it's so much about the battle of the sexes, I I was like, well, this would have to be like a butch femme thing. That's what it would have to be. Mm. And in order to pull that off, I realized it had to be at an entirely queer space. And so that's why it's set at a queer summer camp. That's why it all works, you know, the way it does, is because the initial inspiration is these 1960s sex comedies where people are dressing up based on sort of like, Really old school ideas about what men and women are supposed to be. So, here are these really old school ideas about butch and femme, which I'm not saying are bad, but which, when applied to us from straight people as opposed to internally, become a sort of trap. Um, uh, and, you know, if you come around to like identifying as butch on your own, that is awesome. If someone tells you, you have to be butch otherwise you are a bad gay person you're one of those offensive stereotypes then that is not good mm-hmm. and that sort of policing that sort of mask for mask mentality um uh, fun fact that was the original title for the, of the book but uh Ooh. that oh really yeah, very grinder
0: g- very grinder internalized homophobia there
1: yeah well i mean that's what i really wanted to play with mm-hmm. this idea of mask for mask and like if this guy only believes that, you know, he has to be masked, his partner has to be masked. Mm. Um, What does that look like in a a, a screwball sex comedy? What does that look like if we make it Rock Hudson, Doris Day, and it looks like a femme dude being like, I'm going to be butch today. And of course, the moment I had that idea, I was like, who's crazy enough to come up with that? And the answer is immediately a theater kid. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
2: Of course, absolutely. And to that topic um i kind of just want to discuss like what cuz obviously the main character in your book decides that he wants to change his persona in order t- to win the attraction and affection and hopefully love of his crush and i'm just curious because obviously he went through all of these physical changes was there a reason why he had to be like a new kid in camp and why he couldn't be who he was? I was just, that was always, that was kind of bothering me. I'm like, why can't like.
1: For the drama. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Which I I,
2: loved every second of.
1: (laughs) I think the reason, you know, he's Dell instead of Randy is, and like, he never actually says he's the new kid, but he lets Hudson think Mm. Mm -hmm. and then it becomes more like well why didn't you tell me you've been here and it becomes you know well if I told you who I was you'd remember me as the if you did remember me as the super femme theater kid with the nail polish and that is exactly what you do not want Mm -hmm. so it's better to just sort of start this new identity from scratch plus it's just more fun that way Yeah.
0: And um, like, I'm even just curious, how did you, and this might be going away a little from Mary's question, but how did you do all the research of the illusions you were bringing into your novel? Like all the different musicals, like there's, and I am a huge Bye Bye Birdie fan. So I was very happy to see how thorough Bye Bye Birdie um, gets played. Yeah. And I actually was Conrad Birdie in middle school, but we don't have to talk about that <laughs> no, no no exciting
1: this podcast
0: yeah such a good <laughs> queer part too because he could be queer I want to see an erotic a homoerotic
1: bye bye birdie um, I mean, but- non-binary birdie is like an idea I had before I had this book <laughs> huh? as uh like as someone who like I said I directed a lot um a lot I directed a few musicals in college. Um, uh, I sounded so pretentious there for a second. And so that sort of mentality of like, oh, how would I do this musical? I don't think it ever really goes away. And it's something I've always done. So getting to like put on my big queer production of Bye Bye Birdie, even if it's in a book as opposed to on a stage was very exciting. And a lot of these ideas are ideas I already had.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So you have, like you said, you have an expansive knowledge.
1: I grew up on Broadway, yeah, like old school Broadway, so I I, I do have an expansive knowledge. It, 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 musicals written, you know, uh, after the 1970s, I uh, was not raised on as much, so that's more personal research, um, uh, and you know, there are holes obviously in everything, but Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So the Carrie musical, maybe not. (laughs) No.
1: No. (laughs) Although uh there he knows I'm obsessed with the Carrie musical. My husband and I did bond over the Xanadu musical though. Oh, that
0: was Mm. interesting. And Cheyenne Jackson is definitely a sight to behold.
1: Uh (laughs) Well, not so much that just it was the funniest. Am I allowed to swear? Uh, It was Oh yeah, you can curse here. Okay. It was the funniest fucking thing. Uh, And we didn't see it together. We just talked about it afterwards. I remember there's one scene I was laughing so hard I could not breathe. So that one, oh, man. And and part of it is we had a love of the movie, too. You know, you have to love the movie first and then really appreciate this musical that's making fun of the movie. But, yeah, highly recommend it. It's like now (laughs) you have in my
0: mind what would happen if there was a queer fiddler on the roof? but i'm just imagining like all like all the daughters love interests are
1: actually falling for each other i'd make at least one of the daughters a son um (laughs) uh, and i would make Tevya a woman yeah i don't know i haven't considered that one before but yeah no tradition would be very interesting to do with a queer like interpretation. That could be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, no, it that sounds fun. You would. Oh my goodness.
1: <laughs> um,
0: but yeah, I feel like we could play this game all all night. But <laughs> I could. <laughs> I yeah, I absolutely. <laughs> um, so, um, I was going to ask, Mary, are you? Were you about None. to ask a question? Oh, no, okay. Go, um, go, ahead. Good. go ahead. No, I just wanted to ask. Um, you know the. Quote on the front. I mean, maybe it's the catchphrase, or um, you know, the marketing point says putting the out in the great out. Oh, uh,
1: yeah, that wasn't me. Oh, but... that
0: wasn't you. <laughs> well, still, it's good branding. Uh, so, good job
1: to probably. Well, well, there was a bet. I mean, they asked for for mine, and I had, in my opinion, better ones. <laughs>
0: okay, hold on to that question because we'll be right back. But first, a word from our sponsor
1: oh that's dishy okay uh in the, in fact the advanced reading copy the british advanced reading copy has the tagline um top or bottom it's time to bunk up oh and the one i really wanted to be on the front and the reason they passed on this is obvious is come outside and pitch a tent
0: (laughs) I love that,
1: though, my goodness.
0: That is amazing, though.
1: But the sexual, like, you have to. I I mean, there are obvious, obvious reasons why they said no to that. But I prefer that one immensely. (laughs) Well, and
0: is the British just like. um, And the reason I really saw this was when I was staying in London and I went to a bookstore and I'm like, wait, why are all the covers different than Mm -hmm. the American editions? Which right, there's different um, covers, so I'm assuming is that your British edition a
1: different cover? Um, sort of, it uses the same patch, huh, but okay. background is uh, camo. Uh, yeah.
2: there
1: we go.
0: Oh, he's showing it. To oh, us. Okay. oh, Ooh. okay, interesting. I I like the
2: wood pattern better, but that I is do really like the cool wood pattern.
0: Though. I mean, uh-huh. I feel like the camo gives it more of this um, militaristic well, style.
1: Yeah, and well, apparently in the UK, camo is much more associated with camping than with military. Oh. Um, it's interesting, and you know, summer camp isn't so much of a thing in uh, the in the UK. So the they wanted something that said outdoorsy, and that's why mm-hmm. they went with that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, and who actually designed the patch? Because it is for all of you who, right, see mm-hmm. online. Click right now, look at Lev's design for the cover by the book, too. Uh, but who actually did design that type of? It looks like a merit badge almost from Boy Scouts. I love it.
1: Yeah. Um, let me look that up as I speak with you.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, I can see. Oh, cover design by Anjali
1: Yap. Um, that, uh, that would be the cover designer, the artist. Oh. Who created the patch itself, which is um, a a, uh, computer graphic, essentially? Really? um, Yeah, Matt Dartford and and AJ is the name of the um, AJ Jeffries. Here we go. But Matt Dartford and AJ is the MDI Digital is the name of the uh, the, the company. Um, But yeah, no, that the the idea the patch was in fact my idea. I pitched them. I was like, let's do sort of a, I know it's not a Boy Scout thing, but let's do a patch. I think that's very camp and uh, let's make it glittery or sequiny. And they found this artist and they came back with some sketches and we talked about the sketches and I said, make it gayer. And, <laughs> um, eventually this is what came out of it. I think it's really stunning. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. uh, you know, uh, I, I a friend of mine, um, uh, also an author, uh, created um, the uh, actual physical patch, which I have like a version of it, which I have on um, a jacket, which I'm not wearing right now because it's a podcast. So, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't dress up. I'm gonna sorry. <laughs> this is just me. Wait, are we able uh, to buy the patch? No, no, oh. it was a one-time thing that he created for me, sadly. That's um working, yeah, no, it was it was extremely generous of him and extremely, extremely cool. Um and yeah, yeah. I say that uh, we have camp merchandise. I want it. I want the camp merchandise. <laughs> yeah, I want it too, yeah. Oh, and it's Benjamin Kissel. I should have said that, sorry. I should have (laughs) Who wrote, uh, and I'm looking it up so I could get the exact title right. A Queen of Blood and Glitter um, is the series. Um, uh, So he is very crafty and very cool. And he was so kind and made me an actual version of the patch, which is so cool. Well, thank you, Benjamin. Uh,
0: And I also just love anyone who has the physical copy, like make sure you, closely look at the spine because I don't know I'm sure this was probably symbolically intentional but it actually looks like stage lights like I, um,
1: <laughs> a um a marquee yeah, I, yeah it know, does I never thought of that before but it absolutely does yeah
0: yeah <laughs> so <laughs> there's a there's a test for everyone um <laughs> and like the reason I guess I'm spending so much time on thinking about that illustration is I was also in Boy Scouts, but, and talk about a uh, homoerotic undertones, <laughs> uh, right? It's a whole other, t- it's a whole other podcast. Um, but I really do feel that there's so much in your novel about, you know, performativity and campiness. So like mm-hmm. when you mentioned Rock Hudson and Doris Day, I was so intrigued because my mind automatically went to but I'm a cheerleader mm-hmm. and even the movie camp about the stage door Manor performing arts camp and all of their experiences. So I was just curious, like, did those films also
1: inspire you or. I mean, I've, I've, I have never seen the film camp. I know that it is out there. Um, although I didn't find out about it till people were like, Billy Porter is remaking camp. And I was like remaking. And I had to do a little, Ah, Digging.
0: Okay. Um,
1: I love, but I'm a cheerleader. Although this didn't, I didn't think of this as particular inspiration. If you want, but I'm a cheerleader type more uh, type YA. You should uh, pre-order Home Field Advantage by Dahlia Adler. Oh. Uh, cool. um, but uh, yeah, no, it was really came out of the the 1960s sex comedies. That was my inspiration. That's where I like. Decided the gender play stuff would come from.
0: Yeah, it's like I said to Mary. This is, I think Lev created a queer Twelfth Night.
1: Right. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I, I mean, that was my first book, so there you go. <laughs> there you go.
0: Oh, is that the um, Jack That's of Hearts? All,
1: no, All no, Men no. of Genius, my first book, which is ten years old now.
2: Oh, uh, happy birthday to your book!
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, is a steampunk mashup of importance of being earnest in Twelfth Night. Oh, wow. Mm, okay. I love that. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I do want to bring it back yeah, go ahead, to Mary. the
2: book a little bit. Um, just because I feel like there were two, and I hate to say conflicting like ideals, but I did feel like there was a happy medium between basically just being unapologetically yourself Mm -hmm. but also staying safe because obviously that is an issue for these characters which is heartbreaking and like I said I just feel like you had this very happy medium Mm -hmm. of explaining that I mean what was that process like for you like how did you figure that out because
1: It's interesting originally they, my editors were sort of, they wanted more of a like unequivocally happy like ending. And I told them that felt sort of irresponsible to me. Mm -hmm. Like I get that we want books about queer joy. We want books that celebrate queerness, but to, and I'm not gonna say that they don't have a place or anything, I'm not gonna say that they're irresponsible or anything like that, but to me, When we're talking about that, you know, you can't just say, and the world is great, everything's fine. I think if you hand queer kids only books that show them that Mm -hmm. and their world isn't fine, they start to think that that's on them. They start to think, oh, my life was supposed to be perfect and happy and filled with queer joy and no homophobia or misery um, whatsoever. And the fact that uh, it it has all that stuff, the fact that there is homophobia, the fact that I am closeted, means that I'm doing something wrong. I must be unequivocally myself or else I'm a coward. And I think that message is really harmful. Um, uh, And I'm not saying every like, you know, like Schitt's Creek is a a world without really homophobia. And I don't think that it is in any way giving a bad message. Um, But I think that if you only have one kind of book, then there's not much by way of, of, of nuanced worldview. Um, and so it was important to me to be like, you know, camp, this camp is a special sacred safe space. The rest of the world is not. And to say otherwise is lying. Yeah.
0: Well, and right. It could also quickly go into, I think the term would be saccharine, right. Or
1: Mm -hmm. like
0: the sappiness of, where Schitt's, yeah and shitts Creek does I mean I think really effectively if you think about it um that was a show I watched with my parents during the pandemic when I went back to Jersey uh, <laughs> now I'm on Long Island but I had done like this quick trip not quick but <laughs> an extended stay uh mm-hmm. at the beginning of the pandemic and um but Schitt's Creek if You're right. It is interesting to think about it. There is no homophobia, but there's also these intense um, psychological moments with each character, Mm -hmm. but it's not really related to external um, hateful forces Mm -hmm. um, with, you know, homophobia specifically. But I do think, like, the way it seems like your editors might have been directing you to just have this happy ending that can just quickly become you know, put a rubber stamp on this and mm-hmm. everyone is fine, right? It's like mm-hmm. the complete opposite of what critics are praising you for, which is turning against the gay protagonist dies at the end, mm-hmm. genealogy mm-hmm. of so many novels.
1: And I mean, I think they do have their happy ever after in their mm-hmm. way. It's just that it's a happy acknowledging the what the world is. They will be happy one day right now it's safe because they're kids, they're kids, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, that kids need to prioritize their safety. And unfortunately, they often don't have autonomy over that. Um, you know, if you live with homophobic parents, stay in the closet, by all means, stay safe, come out later, you will have your happy ending. For now, you have to survive.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that is an important message, just as important as you know come out be happy etc
0: yeah it's yeah. like i only came out as a freshman in high school knowing like okay i am with parents who are not going to turn me away like mm-hmm. there was a security there and you know there was um it wasn't right away like oh we understand lgbtq plus culture and art and we have a whole genealogy history, but it was, okay, we're going to learn with you. And, you know, I do want to shout out my parents because they have become, they even walked in a, well not walked, but they were participants in the Philly uh, Pride Parade when I took them.
1: Oh, fantastic, you're very lucky. <laughs> yeah, and very they are lucky. Amazing, that's amazing. Yeah,
0: I want to bring them to the New York City one, uh, hopefully this year. I mean, not this year, next year, um, but yeah. So where was I going with that? No, <laughs> no, no, I um, I think though, like what Mary's bringing up is, yeah, the way that you're able to balance that. Um, oh, I know, okay. I wanted to ask if, because just as a genre question, I always was curious about how young adult like what's young adult, what's adult fiction. And a lot of that comes from my own experience. Mm -hmm. Um, Just browsing and being obsessed with my public library in South Jersey and having gone to all the different sections. And I'm like, oh, okay. How is this now adult fiction? Like what, it's very blurry sometimes. And like, I'm curious if this was say an adult fiction camp, Mm -hmm. like have, you thought about would there be plot points that are changed would it the tone be different
1: I think the tone would be a little different I think you know if 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 I had an adult audience uh, for this book as opposed to thinking about it for a young adult audience I think it would be I would be less concerned with um you know making sure that the characters are the reader's friends. I think oh. that, um, you know, it, it, for me, I think that YA tends to be, it, it, the, the general rule tends to be because uh, more about the actual age of the protagonist, you know, and we're sort of seeing YA creep into college, and we've seen that before, and it usually gets hit down with a baseball bat, so we'll see what happens this time, but I I imagine it'll be the same thing. Um, You know, people, this isn't YA, it's too old, everything is too old, everything's too mature, what about these these kids, these are teenagers? And uh, sometimes that comes hand in hand with the, you know, there should be no sex in YA, which is a whole other issue. So there's always a fight over what YA is, what middle grade is. But to me, what I think about is the actual readers and, you know, teenagers. And to me, the thing about an adult reader is that there is a, a layer between them and the book that teenagers don't necessarily have a sort of, a, of cynicism, frankly, where you know they're removed from the book. To them, the character isn't like their new best friend. And mm-hmm. I think for teenagers, the character can be their new best friend. Um, uh, but with adults, it can be a little more like it's more removed and So when I write for adults, I can have my characters be a little more, mm, I'm trying to find a word, it's not complex, it's not uh, dark, because you can have all that in YA, but Mm -hmm. I can have my characters be a little more irresponsible. And I don't mean that in the like drinking, drugs, whatever, because my YA characters do those too. Um, What I mean it is... mm, morally irresponsible. Like they can be flippant about things. They can be bad people who are just really interesting, um, who do not get better. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Whereas with a a teenager, you know, if I were to write a character knowing this is about to become a teenager's best friend, I would want to make sure that this is a person who is not going to harm them in any way? Mm-hmm. Uh, with an adult, I think they have put up enough armor mm-hmm. that a fictional character will not be able to do that. That's
0: true. No, thank you. Of, that's a good workshop. Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say. No, go ahead. good job, yeah. Liv. This is
1: this is deep. Understanding <laughs> it. Oh,
0: well, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: I was going to say. So, speaking of sex, obviously there is a very sexy scene. <laughs> in this novel and I was just curious how do you like as an adult how do you go about writing that because there were definitely times where I was like oh my gosh I feel like I'm 16 again and it's my first time and oh my gosh but then I'm also like no you're 29 years old like now I feel like gross and like a pervert
1: <laughs> that I'm oh, yeah. even enjoying yeah. this. exact same dichotomy writing it I brought like exact <laughs> same vibe which is like, and, and the reason, and this was another scene I got some pushback on from my editors. um And the reason I was like, this is important to keep it. And in fact, I would say it's the scene that's sort of harmed the popularity of the book the most. Like it's the one I see people being like, mm-hmm. you know, it was a little too spicy for me, but, um uh, and the reason I thought it was really important to keep it in though was teenagers do not and this is also gets back to my first book jack of hearts my first ya book Um, which is a sex ed thriller. Like, it fully has a sex ed column in the book that explains, like, how to do anal and, like, you know, basics of BDSM, and those are all questions sourced from actual teenagers. Like, I rewrote them, I gave them, like, more of a storyline, but those questions, except for two, um, are actually from teenagers. And what became clear to me as I was researching for Jack and talking to teenagers is that Um, you know, what I sort of already knew, which is that sex ed in the country is like screwed. But there was also this article in the New York Times Magazine, uh, golly, it must be like three years ago now, about um, these people who were pornography educators. And what they did is they went around to um, teenagers and we're talking as young as 12, 13, and they'd be like, have you seen porn? Let's talk about porn. And they, the, the interviewer also talked to, uh, or watched the other people talk to actual kids. And there was like one 13 year old boy. And one of the questions was, if you were having sex with a woman, right? Uh, would you um, go for anal without telling her? And he was like, yeah, of course, the women in porn love it. And so what I realized is that, um, You know, that is where, especially for queer teens, especially for queer teens, that is where um, teens are getting a lot of their sex ed from. Mm -hmm. And I have no problem with ethically made porn. I think it's fantasy, though, and that means it doesn't show the sort of nitty gritty. And if you come to sex thinking that's what sex is going to be, it can be really upsetting when you you can think you did it wrong when it's not like that, when Mm -hmm. something comes up. Um, and so what I wanted to do was show a happy, healthy, messy sex scene between two teenagers that was a first-time sex scene um, that essentially teens could model off of if needed. Um, and, you know, I, I, like I said, the exact same sort of stuff ran through my mind where I was like, all right, I'm feeling first time, I'm feeling teenage hormones, I'm feeling all <laughs> that. The the so the scene to me is sexual and explicit, but it's more of a connection scene. It's more about mm-hmm. people being as genuinely honest with each other for the first time. And it's about them communicating and asking for things and giving things and learning things about each other. And that is them really, this is a terrible pun. I apologize. It's really them coming together. Um, <laughs> and- I, was gonna, I thought you were gonna say pitching the tent. uh and so i think that it was really important and then like you know it's interesting the stuff that people push back on tends to be not the actual sex like everyone's okay with all right well you know let's have the sex the the stuff that they tend to have issue with is like oh you know the, the fingering and the lubrication and the prep work which is all the stuff that like makes the sex not you know a fantasy. And so Mm -hmm. that is always very interesting to me, um, that people seem more opposed to the messiness of real sex than the fantasy of what the sex could be.
0: I'm assuming that these critics don't read James Baldwin.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Or there's a lot of
0: authors who talk
1: about messiness. I mean, there are, but I don't think so much in YA. Uh, And I think that's where the objection comes from, because they are imagining teenagers reading this. And all of a sudden teenagers and, you know, they're trying to ban Jack of Hearts in Texas right now. Um, And Jack of Hearts has no sex scenes, none whatsoever. It just has characters discussing sex and telling them how to have healthy, safe, consensual sex, how to know what they want, how to like figure out what they want. And I think that tends to be what people dislike more than anything else, is the idea of teenagers having sexual agency. And um, uh, that has to do with a lot of things. I think with women, it's about the fact that, you know, heteronormative society doesn't want women to have any sexual agency at all. Mm -hmm. And with Mm -hmm. gay men, I think the idea of gay men having sexual agency to a patriarchal society essentially puts men on the same level of women as an object, a potential object of desire. You know, um, uh, the the there are, are interviews with younger straight men who are always like, I don't want to sit next to a gay guy. What if he tries something with me? And it's like, well, then why would a woman sit next to you? And you say that to them and they're like, oh i'm terrible (laughs) and they sort of realize all their patriarchal assumptions and so there's this uh you know the idea of of gay teenagers having sexual agency is really threatening to a lot of straight people
0: yeah especially like when it's in a state like texas that does not want to have comprehensive sex education at all like we were lucky Being in New Jersey because New Jersey has one of the, I think, most comprehensive sex ed, or at least I had a very comprehensive. I mean, unless you go to Catholic school. (laughs) See, Mary went to Catholic school. I didn't. Instead, (laughs) we actually talked about queer sexuality in my sex ed.
1: Oh wow! Oh yeah, that's really great. I mean, I would say that it's worth noting in Texas that a lot of people are fighting back against this banning. You know, I, I think there are a lot of people who really support queer kids and want this education for queer kids so you know it's not just you know the state of texas it's Mm -hmm. the deeply gerrymandered state of texas who have disempowered you know compassionate people essentially i think that's what's really happening there and all over america yeah
0: yeah like it's actually it is it's a but it's a good uh you know you bring in the levity so that was a bad <laughs> pun <laughs> i did not even mean to do that bring in the but um that there is a lot of progressive grassroots activism and it's not like
1: mm-hmm. the censorship
0: is happening without fights so
1: mm-hmm. um yeah no i mean the the in the town where they were trying to ban my book from the library there was also a new principal uh who was appointed to the school who had all the teachers take down their pride flags and, um, I th- and, and fired, well, put on leave the two openly queer teachers and the entire, the, not the entire student body, yet. well, actually, I don't know, maybe the entire, a huge portion of the student body staged a protest walkout. And it was just so inspiring to watch, like these kids are amazing and mm-hmm. it sucks that they have to be.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I agree.
0: Well, I, I know we're nearing our end. So one question that I was just really curious about is what have you heard from teenagers, right? Like, because most of your audience are teenagers probably, um, but, you know, Mary and I and so many others who interview you are adults, I guess we're adults, Um, you know, it is a book that anyone can enjoy. Um, I think adults would actually really learn a lot from the perspectives mm-hmm. of your characters but mm-hmm. you know what do teens say about their experience with camp
1: I mean I'm not gonna lie and tell you the kids come running up to me I mean you know this has been out the entire it came out during the pandemic so it's not like I have experienced any in-person events um uh, into and it's not like kids are going out of their way to email me. You know, I, I'm still a weird adult. So, uh, but I have gotten a few emails, um, one of which in fact, it interestingly was um, asking about the sex scene and being like, is that legal? Is that not allowed? And I, uh, you know, they, no one's telling me their age in their email, So I thought this was like some 40 year old mom or something. And I, so I wrote back and I said, a link to my article on queer sex ed in The Guardian. And I was like, you know, what I was trying to do is make sure kids have access to uh, representations of healthy queer sex uh, and accurate queer sex. And they wrote back and they're like, oh, that makes so much sense. Thank you so much, you know. I am actually a closeted kid um, with homophobic parents. I stole the book, uh, which, you know, more power to you, kid, I don't mind, Um, (laughs) and like, knowing this book is out there, like as I've been reading it, it, it has been so amazing for me. It's been like changing for me. And like, I'm not coming out anytime soon. But knowing that this is out there it, is so helpful for me. And I was just making sure I wasn't reading the work of a pedophile. <laughs> they didn't phrase it quite like that. But uh, <laughs> that was that was the kind of the vibe. Um, and, you know, I, So yeah, I do hear from kids occasionally and they seem to be liking it. Um, It seems to be important to them.
0: Yeah, and um, I hate to say this is the final question, but um, I do want to ask, are you working on anything right now, Lev? Anything you can tell us about? Yeah,
1: my next novel is an adult novel. It's coming out next year in the fall. It's called Lavender House. Um, It is a... A historical mystery, it takes place in 1952, and it is a queer detective who is caught in a raid on a gay club in San Francisco and is immediately fired and is contemplating suicide when a woman sits down next to him and asks him to investigate the death of her wife um, and takes him away to a a manor house outside town that is united around a lavender marriage, which is when mm. a gay man and a lesbian married each other for appearances. So there's the uh, gay man, lesbian, uh, lesbian's girlfriend, the gay man's uh, boyfriend, and then there's also some parents, one of whom is queer. So uh, it's a big, it's another queer family story, but this one is, um, mm, the vibe is much more Knives Out.
2: <laughs> oh, I love that. Uh, I
1: can't so, wait. Yeah, it's, it's essentially pitched as a Queer Historical Knives Out. Um, and I'm mm-hmm. Very excited for that. Um, uh, PJ Vernon just blurbed it. He posted the blurb on Instagram, so you can see that there. And yeah, um, uh, I'm hoping to have a cover early in the new year.
0: Okay, well, hopefully we can have you back when your book comes out.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Lavender
0: House, right? Yep. Yep. Okay,
1: and it's uh, the first in a series. It was a two-book deal, so there will be Ooh. another book in this historical queer mystery series Ooh. the year after.
0: Congratulations! It's yes, like congratulations. Yeah, I mean you and PJ Vernon. I mean, yeah. I know he has a. crew. How did he pitch it to us, Mary? The queer um, rear window. I think yes. that's what he said. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, oh my gosh! It's gonna be a queer so thriller cool. madness.
1: Uh, you know, I'm excited. Right now we're gonna take over you know, all mysteries, there will be no straight mysteries allowed.
0: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Oh, this is wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Lev. And thanks for just joining us. And
1: I feel like we covered so many
0: topics. So (laughs) it ran the gamut from personal to the political to (laughs) culture society. Mary and I reminiscing about our summer camp experience, which (laughs) there's a lot of juicy details that we're not gonna talk about here. Uh, (laughs) not between us. (laughs) Um, But thank you so much, Lev, and thanks to all of you you. out there for listening. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. The Ivory Tower Boiler Room consists of me, Andrew Rimby, Executive Director, Mary DePippi, Chief Contributor, and Jaron Usta, Marketing Director. I thank them all because without their help, the Ivory Tower Boiler Room would not be what it is. Also, please do donate and help support our public humanities mission. So the easiest way to donate is go to the bottom of the show notes, click that support link, and that's your easiest way to donate. We really appreciate it because we are all volunteers here within the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Please, while you're at it, follow us on Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room and on our Twitter page at Ivory Boiler
1: Room.